Hello and welcome to Tunfoil Helmets, your occasional spicy hot take roundup of the latest F1 rumours, or with almost believable conspiracy theories to back them up. Everything here is carefully researched for hours to make sure it's totally founded in logic, reason, and truth. Or not. Who knows? So, uh, Andrew, this week, should we kick off with, have we got anything right? I think we're uh, we're batting zeroed this, uh, this week. Uh, Perez yeah. will win in Miami, too. Well, he was on pole. Uh... Yeah. And he did lead most of the race. Did he? I think he had the most, you know, as a percentage, most meaning 50% or more. Well, let's see. He pitted at, like, lap 19. Oh, no, because then, no, no, you are, no, no, I am wrong. You are correct. I forgot that there was the whole Verstappen drive now out front for, on his hard tires, whistling away like nothing was happening. Yeah, 15-second gap, then a 16-second gap, then a 17-second gap, then an 18-second gap. Uh, but that was it the radio from christian said it was 19.8 at one point yeah i saw that i heard that i was that's, like oh that's a lot dude. yeah um Merck will do better since mammy was good for them last year um you know I, i'm gonna give that not a wrong and not a right i will say that their performance in quality was definitely worse than last year and made us look stupid but i think they kind of pulled it out of the bag i mean lewis was whining and driving around like a weirdo uh, not to preview the race but then eventually he kind of you know towards the end got some pace and worked out what was going on and so i i'm gonna give this not a failure but also not correct i mean better is subjective right we were it was better enough it was better enough that, that's all we can hope for this season is better enough oh uh, we should move on to uh to our ever recurring segment of has zach brown been fired yet he has not. He is continued being employed. I haven't seen him anywhere, though. I don't know if he's... Maybe he's been bundled into the back of some Middle Eastern car that, you know, they're trying to beat him up and ask for their money back, but I haven't seen him. That's a good point. He has not been around. I believe there was a quote this week from him, but if it's just a quote, you don't know if somebody just chat gpt that. What was the quote? I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> It was some piece of news about... Oh, I remember the quote. I didn't can't remember exactly what was said, but it was along the lines of... Um, uh, ah, I found the quote. It was that there is no big four F1 teams. It's just Red Bull and then the rest. Well, looking at the race results from this weekend, there's Red Bull, then eight other teams, and then McLaren. Yeah. What happened to the performance from last week? Man, you... you... Who knows? Like that that car is just it's so unpredictable week in and week out. I uh, I saw a thing that maybe Lando Norris had thrown Daniel Ricardo under the bus about how great of a teammate Oscar was compared to Daniel, and uh, that's uh, uh, that's bold to go after uh, McLaren's last race winner like that. It it is, and he was he was saying what was it? Piastri pushed me harder than Ricardo ever did. Maybe maybe he wasn't talking about on track. Maybe there was some sort of behind the scenes fighting thing going on where they push each other. Yeah, I mean, Oscar's been fine, but I wouldn't necessarily... Uh, I would say that all is not well at McLaren for, for sure. And, man, it's, I don't know what's gonna, what's it going to take to get them back to the front of the grid. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I can't remember when they've got some upgrades. I think maybe it's Imola like everybody else. Um, we'll see what happens. And then we'll have another exciting segment of Is Zach Brown Still the CEO of McLaren? I I think also we got to remember Indy 500s coming up, and if McLaren have a good run at a at Indy, that could save his job. So we'll see. He does have more than one uh, leg on his chair. Tent. 
Yes, that'll be coming up in our very special episode of Monaco was boring, so let's talk about the Indy 500 instead. Is it the same weekend? It's usually the same weekend. Okay, great. I'm going to have to watch that. Okay, so, thoughts on Miami, or as I had titled it, thoughts on mediocre Miami prior to the race, and I believe maybe I was uh, held true by that. Well, it was better than Baku. Was it? I, I will say yes. I will say it was definitely better than Baku because the, the problem with Baku was you had the car starting in relatively relative the order that we thought they would be in. And then you had a safety car that was right around everybody's optimal pit stop strategy. So as a result, everybody was on the same strategy and not much happened. Uh, Miami, you know, you had Max uh, out of position starting P9. Um, the top six cars on the grid were six different manufacturers, so a bit of a jumbly grid. It was very clear that I think by the end of the race, I think it was very clear that the hard to medium strategy was the best way to go about the race. So like, you know, you had Lewis who started P13, was not looking good for the first half the race. Yeah. Suddenly be up there in P8 like or P6 is where he finished. So, you know, that was that was clearly the better strategy. I mean, Hulkenberg had the fastest lap at one point in time going hard to medium. I was surprised by that. That was yeah. that. There was more, the, the Haas, in fact, maybe were kind of the surprise performance at, uh, of the of the weekend. Really, I feel like they lacked the drivers to capitalize on it, but they did. They held up quite well throughout that race. Yeah, I think they they definitely did. Um, yeah, it, it was a bit of a weird one. Uh, but I mean, there was we got to see some brilliant overtakes, unlike uh, unlike Baku, where there were no brilliant overtakes. Uh, were there any overtakes in Baku? Not really. But, uh, I mean, yeah, Max is in a rocket ship, but him getting both, uh, what, Charles and George, was it, at once? Or who was that? It was George and Gasly, wasn't it? Or was it no, Charles? it wasn't the Merc. It was someone. It, I think it was Charles and Gasly. Either way, that, whoever it was. That's, I guess that's also how memorable it was. We forgot who that was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was, a, that was a brilliant overtake. Um, yeah, he saw that three turns earlier. Yeah. Oh, it was Hulkenberg, wasn't it? It was like it was Hulkenberg and it was Hulkenberg and Charles. That's who it was. Okay. Because Charles and Hulkenberg were going at it, and then Max is just like, "I'll just let you guys bicker and bye." Like, opportunistic, but also knew what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, did you get to watch any of the pre-race at all? I did not, and I am eagerly awaiting your review. Yeah, this is one of those things of uh, I, I agree with a lot of the sentiment on Twitter of it was a little cringy. However, I have to say, in the uh, in the spirit of American sports, getting the starting lineup introduced to the the fans, I thought was very cool. It may have gone on a little bit longer than it should have been, but you know, I I, I thought that was that was really neat. Does is that happen at all in other European sports? Of like, you know, here's the Tottenham lineup for today, and you they introduce the players, and they run out of some sort of tunnel with smoke, or is that just a very Americanized thing? Uh, they run out of the tunnel. I don't think they have the smoke, but they do run out of the tunnel, and they do announce the team and the captain usually. Oh, but just the team, not not like it's not like yeah. Here are you know AFC Richmond. If we're going to just pull a Ted Lasso team out of they they announce the team, they'll be like you know it's Tottenham Hotspurs, uh, captain by John Smith, whatever they call it. Oh no! See in the American sports, you got like uh, 
uh, all the starting lineup of like you know introducing your we're on we're on the west coast so your 2023 or your lineup for tonight's mariners you know at first base like they'll go through everybody and list who they are like they'll come out and wave to the crowd so it was it was kind of cool to see that and i uh i liked that aspect of it but it was maybe a bit too long uh, was it wwe style like effectively that's what some people were saying i definitely saw okay. it more as like you know um like if you watch the Super Bowl when they announce the the starting yeah. the starts for the the teams, you know it's okay. yeah. I mean, it's it. This is gonna sound really weird. I think it's appropriate to uh, adopt the country that you're raising in some of their culture as you how you choose to stylize the the race, right? It make it makes sense, and so I think I. If America just followed what everybody else did, I don't think that would be good for F one in America. It needs to make the race american in some way and as long as that doesn't involve any driving in straight lines i think we're probably in a good a good place how do you feel about left-hand turns and only left-hand turns wrong okay uh yeah but we i mean we've talked about this before of like some of the stuff that the mexico mexican grand prix does is so cool like the the mariachi band doing the f1 theme that's that's fantastic so no i definitely agree i like when when countries put their own unique twist on the pre-race celebration um you know, this is the slight problem, I guess, if America's going to have 5GP going forward of, like... I mean, what's Vegas going to be? Is they going to get a bunch of strippers making work on the pole while the driver comes on? And then what are they going to do in Texas? Ride a horse on while lassoing something? Sir, that is uh, a stereotype. Yes. But is and, it wrong? And, no. Uh, some days. Okay. Not all days. <laughs> uh, I, I do think it was... I, I did like it, but I, I think it could have used a little bit of a tweak. I was surprised there was no flyover for a country that usually likes to flex its military might. We did not get any high-speed, very fast jets flying over. I thought that was a policy change this year. Oh, maybe. The, the, F, the F1 had done it, and then I think it was the first race, I think in Bahrain, they had a flyover, and everybody was like, I thought they banned these. And like, well, we gave them an exception for this one. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Here's the question of somebody who did not see it. Should I take the time to go and find a a stream of it on the intertubes and watch it. Oh, absolutely. J- just okay. to, you need to enjoy the cringe that the rest of us got to see. Okay. Uh, let me Mar- let me take a moment and let me add that to my to-do list because I will make sure I capture that. Uh, Martin Brundle was wearing the most fabulous shirt for his grid walk. Uh, Jackie Stewart did a great job of breaking through F1 security to in- secure uh, Martin with an interview with Roger Federer. Possibly oh. the highlight of the race, maybe the best move of the race, was F1 security trying to shoo Jackie Stewart away, and Jackie Stewart being like, uh, "No, Do you I'm know Jackie. Who I am? I'm Jackie Stewart. Roger Federer, come with me. You are needed to talk to Martin Brundle." <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, some of the things I missed out by not having Sky. Uh, what else about the race itself? Because I think we've got some commentary about. Uh, well, you know, what we haven't talked about qualifying. Yes, Be- before we, should, we get we, to the race, should, we should we should, discuss we should go, we should okay. So let's let's take our remaining commentary and we'll put that on the shelf and right. let's get the qualifying down, lay it out. It's such an anticlimactic end to end on a red flag. It is. It. I was. I was really enjoying quali. I was enjoying the. Uh, Will Max be able to put in a a good lap at the end of it? You know, will will he? Because you know he'd only get one shot. Yeah. Uh, and 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 yeah, he uh, he didn't get the opportunity. Nope. And his Q two lap was faster than Pole's Q three lap. Really? Really? I see. This is I, this has happened like maybe three or four times. I think we've watched it outside of wet races that I've been right. watching F one, where somebody slams in this this blinder of a lap in Q two. 
to sometimes not even qualify on uh, the front of Q2, right, due to something else or whatever. And then in Q3, nobody's even close to it. And it, I feel there's a, there's, a, there's a disservice done to the principle and um, intent of qualifica- qualification, which is the fastest person on a single lap should go at the front and then rank down from there. And I sometimes wish that they could solve that in some other way. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of fine with some of those situations just because you know the the track is changing, you know, in the terms of and they're pushing yeah. the tires really hard. That you know, if the if a cloud moves out of the way and all of a sudden the track heats up ten degrees and the tires blister, they're not going as fast as they were in Q2. I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, Miami was relatively stable. Yeah, I mean, Checo improved what a half second from Q1 to Q2 and Q2 to Q3 each time. So. You know, he was moving up, but it was definitely one of those cases of, you know, is is Max going to play it safe? Is Max going to really go for it? Because, you know, he only has one lap at this point in time. And then uh, Charles Leclerc uh, slams into the wall for the umpteenth time in qualifying and uh, shuts it all down. They had like a minute 50 when he hit the wall. I, I did see a screen grab on it. So, you know, there is a chance they, they could have red flagged it there. And then you got a minute 50 to make it to the line to, to start a flying lap. Uh, that would have been, been tight. It would have been tight, but like, it would have been a. I, I understand, like, from an F one safety standpoint, of you don't want to, you don't want to make it so that not every car can can get out of qual. Like, if the red flag is going to go away, that every car will have a chance because otherwise it's just going to turn into a scrum for the green light at the end of the at the end of the pit lane. Like everybody just standing or waiting for the, uh, waiting for the green light to go on. Which you know that's not safe. That's not great. Well, you, you know somebody in that situation would delay leaving after the green light, sitting at the front to hold everybody up by like five seconds just to, so that they could be the only one with the chance. You know a driver would do that. Uh, yeah, it would have to be Fernando Alonso. He's done it before. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then you have somebody who'd probably try to pass around the pit lane. Like, it would just yeah. be chaos. It would be bad. Um, you know, I, I think if you would have just added like three minutes to the clock, I think that would have been good. Um, you know, I understand we can't add race laps and stuff because they can't refuel, but I think sending everybody back to the, the garage and saying, Hey, we're going to put three minutes back on the clock. You know, if, yeah, I understand that you've messed with your tires already. And yeah, I mean, I understand for, for a race, like you can't put laps back on the board because all the cars are fueled, but you know, for qualifying, everybody's only running like two laps of fuel worth anyway. I think you could come back and say, Hey, we're just going to put three minutes on the board. I'm sorry, your tires might be a little less than optimal, but we're going to give everybody a clean running shot. Um, like maybe 250% of the slowest lap in that sec, sec the um, uh, 250% of the slowest lap in that section of qualifying. Sure, something like that. Or, you, you know, just something that's like, we clearly know how much time this is going to take. Uh, it's probably track dependent. Uh so yeah, uh, but something like that I think would be nice. At, at the very least, I think uh, if you cause a red flag, and I'll even go so far as to say double-waved yellows in quality in Q3 of qualifying, I think you go to the back of that group of 10. Interesting. Even if they'd set the lap that was like, I don't know, they were third fastest, they'd set that at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I mean Charles qualified okay. ahead of Max, and Max t- never got to set a time. You know, okay. some of that was on Max's mm-hmm. fault, and he knows it was on his his fault. And okay. but you know, it's one of these things of is it that there have been like Monaco is the quintessential example mm. of like people's ruining qualifying because somebody bumped their car against a wall, like what what Nico Rosberg, yeah, Nico Checo, Charles, pick pick a Shoe driver, me. Shumi, 
probably uh oh, who Senna. else Senna, Senna probably Prost. uh Prost uh <laughs> probably Nikki Lauda yeah. just since the beginning of time uh yeah but it, it's similar to how they've clamped they clamped down with uh, Schumacher uh trying to push Jules Villeneuve off the track yeah. to win his championship uh, I wish they would clamp down a little bit on some of that stuff in qualifying. I understand drivers need to take risks and things like that, and we want them to take risks to go fast. But yeah, I think there just needs there needs to be I think some sort of penalty for ruining everybody's quality lap because that's exactly what Charles did. I, I agree, and it's like there's a it's not even that I think most of these people when it happens they do it intentionally. It's not like they're like oh, I'm going to throw it works at Monaco. Uh, they're not throwing it. I think it's just that they're pushing too hard and, and it goes out. But I do think there's something needs to happen. If nothing else, it has to give everybody else the opportunity, even if you don't get punitive with it. Um, that, that Enabling people to have the opportunity once more, I think, is the most, most significant and equitable part of it. Right, and then we're going to end up in a race where there's a red flag and a rainstorm comes through. All of a sudden, we give three minutes back on the clock and everybody's time is slower than the person who crashed because yeah. <laughs> because now it's raining. I'm sure that'll happen at some point in time. Uh, have, any, have any teams ever considered, um, was it sodium nitrate, sprinkling that above, get some planes to fly over 15 minutes before the end of the thing to get it to rain to just, you know sort it out I'm, su- I'm surprised ferrari hasn't tried that i mean that's right up there with uh, bernie eccleston uh saying we should put sprinklers on the track yes i i don't like bernie but i still think that idea has merit it's it's something that's for certain yeah. <laughs> i'm not sure it, i'm not sure if it's merit but it's something <laughs> okay what else do we have about oh we did the qualifying now so we what did. about the race what about the race? We talked a little bit at the beginning about the race. Maybe uh, I mean, rainstorm overnight. Everybody on the wrong side of the grid had a much slower start. I don't know if you saw that from the overhead cam when they when they showed the shot, but like the left lane accelerated so much faster than the right lane. Which is interesting, given that it was supposed to have been washed by the rain. Obviously, some of the rubber didn't get washed off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, but yeah, that was definitely the dirty side of the grid, and it it showed. Um, yeah, uh, I had a. We talked a little about Lewis. I I think on like lap fifteen, I wrote, uh, "Is Lewis being disappointing or disappointing in front of his friends?" Because, you know, so many of the people on the grid were like, "Oh yeah, I'm cheering for Lewis today," and he's definitely been a personality that's transcended just being a Formula One driver. Yeah. So it was everybody was seemed to be cheering for Lewis these days. I I do think he managed to pull it out towards the end. I'm still disappointed he didn't beat George. Um, but it was interesting to watch his performance in that race. I was very confused at the beginning where he wasn't sure that it would be able to go to the end. And I, he seems to have been talking about the car. And I have no idea what he was waffling on about. I think um, he got bumped somewhere on the opening lap and maybe was worried yeah. about wing or suspension or something like that. But it seems yeah. to be fine. But once he got through halfway, I think he, I was surprised he managed to get as high as he did. Because I think I was doing the math when he was still on the hards and it was like lap 35 or getting close to something like lap 39 and i was like if he stops now he's going to end up in like 17th but he managed to pull it up to was it eighth in the end sixth so sixth sixth Sixth. in the end p6 so that's a pretty good recovery from a 13th that's seven places on the on the grid and i think he ended up like it looked he did a good couple of overtakes it was you know pretty a pretty reasonable performance i don't think he disappointed his friends i think he disappointed his friends with their qualifying performance that was pretty shocking yeah uh so there are definitely two drivers I still want to talk about. One of them we really need to talk about, and that's Lance Stroll. <laughs> Will Lance Stroll cost Aston Martin second place in the championship? Yes. I agree. 
just just like to be brutally honest, Daniel Ricciardo cost McLaren last year. What eighth in the championship? No, no, they were they 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 they, they were like sixth last year. They could have been fifth if it hadn't if if Daniel Ricciardo had been performing as well as Lando Norris last year, they would have had so many more points, and they probably would have beat Alpine. Yeah, but it's different when your dad owns the team. Yeah, I, I I've been trying to decide whether Stroll is just always been this bad and he finally has a competitive uh, or has a teammate who will show him up Fernando Alonso or if actually he's still struggling in recovering from breaking his hands I mean he could but I think some of it is I mean the car is clearly there it's clearly yes. there like uh, wait well, to, to play double advocate is Fernando Alonso out driving that car I don't is think he, so is he making it go faster than it's really meant to be I am one of those people that's on the, the side of Fernando Alonso has never outdriven the car he's been in. I would agree with that. So why I would he start out driving a car? Yeah, no, that's fine. I think that's fine. That's fine. I'm saying playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, Fernando does take time to watch Stroll's overtakes on the big screen as he's driving around. He had the most boring race, but he was 20 seconds behind, <laughs> behind Sergio and 10 seconds in front of George. He just had nothing to do. Yeah, I, mean, I, I still think he did very well for that. But, he did amazing, uh, and that's the thing is Aston Martin it can legitimately beat Mercedes this year, but yeah. Lance is faffing around at the back of the grid. Yeah, it was. This is a guy see, who didn't even get out of Q one because they were. Cons- he did not get out of Q one because they were concerned about saving tires. He started like seventeenth. Oh jeez, I missed that. Uh, did you hear the commentary from him on the radio? It's like, can you tell me my my performance and my relative? times and everything else yeah. and i was just like did they forget lance was there uh i'm more on the opinion of that of uh you can know where you are to the cars around you when you're actually battling for points until then you just need to be going faster like fair, fair. like yeah i think you know carlos has a good reason of hey i need to know the race situation given i have a, i'm carrying a five second penalty and i'm up here in the big points you know, right. Alonso wants to know what people are doing. Uh, the Mercedes need to know what other people, where, where they're each other doing because they're on different strategies and, you know, they're trying to maximize points there. Lance, you can figure out where it's going on in the race when you're actually getting to the points and not trying to get past Yuki Sonoda for 11th. <laughs> like, your yeah. teammate's on the podium and you're not even in the points. This was the crap everybody was giving, like, Gasly and Albon for, like, a couple years ago behind Max when he was mm-hmm. lapping them. And, like... So if if you if your daddy's strong, what do you do, right? Like, do you accept that it's a business venture, and really the the money that you've poured into it over the last three years has finally started to pay off? You're going to get rid of your son. Let's put aside the family dr- drama of that. But does do, does the does the fact that you no longer have necessarily any physical skin in the game mean that he's no longer interested and wants to sell Aston Martin to someone? I'm just I'm just curious because he owns a large chunk of Aston Martin road cars, two different entities apparently, um, and so I, I I'm just I'm curious what what would you do? How would you handle that? It's definitely a difficult situation for sure. Uh, you know, it was definitely I think let's not forget uh, Lawrence isn't just like trying to help out his kid. He is a massive racing fan, mm. and I think in some ways True. like owning a Formula One team has always been his dream, and he had the opportunity to finally do it. Um, and given that he owns a big chunk of Aston, if I'm Aston, I'm going to lean on Lawrence and say, hey, you're carrying our brand mm-hmm. name, and we could be in a much better position. We could be battling for the Constructors' Championship 
but one of our drivers is not measuring up. Well, if you extend that to Aston Martin Road Cars, you're like, if we could get the Constructors' Championship, imagine the marketing, the halo effect it has on selling some cars that will break down on a regular basis. Um, like, what is my opportunity that I'm missing because of that? It's like, it's not, in some respects, to take a step back, it's not just about, is Lance going to do his dad good by succeeding? It's, what is the impact on the larger business by not having that championship? And I also, I don't think Stroll's necessarily a bad driver, but like, because mm. I think a great spot for him would be like LMP cars with Aston. Yeah. Like yes, yes, how, yes. Put him in a hyper uh, Le Mans car. Let him go. Let him go play around in WEC. Like yeah, that'd be just fine. And let yeah. let the F1 team do the F1 team things. I think Lance would land just fine. You know, he he's not the worst driver on the grid by any means. But you know, when it times when it comes time of your team is battling with Mercedes, you need two cars up there. Is this secretly you trying to get Danny Rick back into F1 again? Oh no! If anything, I'm gonna I'm shopping the uh, the Lewis to Aston Martin and Fernando and Lewis back together. No, no. The, uh, we we talked a little bit about this uh, off the podcast, but uh, given the large cheer that Danny Rick got when he was shown on the screen in qualifying, I want Danny Rick in NASCAR. Yeah, I think he has to be in NASCAR. I think he has to accept that his time in F1 is probably really past. And that there's the, the reality he is he can have more success and be happier in NASCAR. I mean, Juan Pablo Montoyo loves NASCAR and preaches the gospel of how great racing in NASCAR is. Mm-hmm. I think I think Danny's got a great American fan base. Uh, as someone who doesn't necessarily watch a lot of NASCAR but is a big fan of Danny Rick, mm-hmm. I would so go start to watch more NASCAR just to see what Danny Rick's up to. Yeah, I, I, I can't watch NASCAR until we get British commentators. I'm sorry, I can't I can't cope with the American style of commentating. It, it's like it's too it's too. It's too much like the intro that I need to go and watch. It's too over the top. Well, uh, I mean, would a would a British commentator know what a big V8 block engine is? I'm sure he would. You know, you can train them. It, that's just technical material. It's the style. You can't teach that. It, it's a thing you are born into. What do you think? I'm, Jensen's done a NASCAR race. Do you think he needs to be uh, the I, British commentator? He could. Do, he could be an okay commentator. He he can he can he can be the person who build the audience for the British NASCAR people before we find a really good proper commentator. You know, one of those people, you know, commentates on football or or cricket, maybe not cricket, that's not very exciting. Uh, maybe Martin can do a special special uh, one-off NASCAR coverage. Would you accept an Australian as your, uh, your NASCAR British? Uh, possibly. Sometimes I've watched the occasional clip of Australian sports and it's a, li- it's a little over, over the top. Australia is halfway between British and American in terms of OTT levels. Oh, it's it's one of my favorite countries. It's fantastic. It's everything there wants to kill you, though. <laughs> that is true. Uh, I think we need to talk about Charles. So we're going to go into our... We, we segueing into spicy takes and rumors. I think we're getting there. Unless there's anything okay. else you want to talk about the race. I don't, I, I don't think so. You know, one more comment. Uh, the audience size, while bigger than last year, it looked very quiet outside of the actual stadiums, and I feel like I feel like they overcooked it, which makes me very curious what year two of Las Vegas is going to be like after everybody realizes that Las Vegas is a terrible racetrack. Well, honestly, I think Vegas and Miami are going to cannibalize each other because if somebody was yeah, pointing out, like, like both the tickets are astronomically expensive, and if you're somebody coming in to to watch a race in the U.S. from outside the U.S., you know, it's like, oh, for a hundred more dollars, I can go to Las Vegas instead of Miami. Okay, 
There's something more to do in Vegas than there is in like, Miami, other than sweat and get eaten by alligators. So, we're going to go and do spicy takes and rumors? And yeah, I think we got we to talk about Charles. The question we should be posing here is, is Charles overrated? And I am going to go with the not that spicy, in my opinion, yes. Uh, at the risk of a, a boring episode of the podcast, I would agree with you. I saw something over the weekend that it was like uh, right after he crashed in qualifying that was uh, people saying this is the, the best driver that Ferrari's had since Schumacher. It's like totally disrespecting Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, uh, Kimi could drive it around the track and didn't crash it. Yeah. There were some great years that Seb had there, but I don't know how to fix Charles in a sense. Because, well, like. But to fix him, you have to work out what's wrong with him. True. And so the question here is this is, this, is, this, is, this is where I think it's unclear and it's difficult to get a read on it. Is this because the Ferrari is a fickle car, right? If you separate previous generation. Uh, style cars, previous regulations, where he occasionally binned the old style car. But I think those can be clearly attributed to Charles is young and unwise and just pushing too hard. But he's been at Ferrari for five years now, and it's new regs. Is the new car just a bit, it's a bit on edge? And the question is, if, if that's the case, he's just pushing it just a little bit too hard because he knows he can drive it better than everybody else, and it just goes out on him. It does I don't look think like that's it, the case. It does look like it's still porpoising. And, you yes, know, it does. It, if it porpoises just wrong at just the right time on a bump, which is, I think, kind of what happened in Q3, uh, he goes yes. flying. But why does that not happen to uh, Sainz? Uh, I mean, Sainz had a terrible run at the end of last year, if I recall correctly. He had a terrible run at the beginning, where he kept ending up putting it in the... Like, he'd, Imola, he went yeah. off. Australia, he went off. He had, like, three races where he DNF'd on the first lap. It was ridiculous. Um, but but uh, science is not held up as the, the second coming of Michael Schumacher and people talk about that for Charles and the thing that I think makes me think that it's not the car is the fact that it it never happens when he's not pushing he's always in an extreme situation when he's got something really critical on the line he did it in Imola last year where he was chasing Max and was like I gotta get him gotta get him got him and he dropped it and put it in a ditch it happened in Monaco uh, two years in a row, I think, where he was like putting in his lap and he was like, yeah, I'm going to get this. And then he puts it in the wall. And the same thing happened in um, France last year where he was going around and he was trying to catch and he was trying to get that and he just biffs it off the track. And the same thing happened yesterday. He could see there was a moment of glory. And so he was like, I'm going to get this. And he lost his sanity and just went biffed it. And I... I I would have said it was immaturity, but I think it's that he doesn't know where the edge of the car is because maybe that's not his skill, and he pushes it too far every time. Science does, and probably doesn't push enough because of that, but that's why science doesn't put it in the ditch all the time. I will, I will offer a third possibility. It's not Charles. It's Javier. Really? Is that, that's why he's spinning off into a wall is he just saying the wrong thing at the wrong moment and distracting him i don't think he's necessarily saying the wrong thing at the wrong moment but we have humorous clips going back to seb's days with with javi just clearly not understanding his role and what he needs to tell the driver there was even something from this weekend of, of 
Charles being like, do we have enough time? And Javier's like, nope, signs didn't make it through or something or something about signs. It's like, no, you clearly don't understand what I'm asking. And you, you listen to like um, GP talk to Max, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, Bono talk to Lewis. You know, mm-hmm. these guys are very good about calming those guys down. Yeah. And saying, hey, this is what you need to do. This is the process. This is where you're losing time. They're very technical. They're very focused. They're very laser focused. Charles does not have somebody to talk him down. So instead, he pushes like crazy. Okay. When, when you know, because if, if going back to Imola last year, if GP's in Charles's ear, hey, you know, you got good pace. You got good pace. Target, you know, this time, this lap. You know, you don't have to do it all in one lap. I don't know if Charles bends it, but because Javi never seems to be on top of it on the pit wall. Seb had to do it all himself. Now Charles feels like he has to do it all himself, and they're going careening off the track and ruining their racing careers. So the the the, the statement is that Charles is driving at ten tenths of his sorry eleven tenths of his mental capacity because he has to spend two tenths of that capacity doing all the things that his engineer should be doing. I, I can I can believe that, especially when you tie that into. Uh, the way that Seb had those same challenges. I think Seb always wanted to do that, but at the same time, I think Ferrari leaned on him to do that versus when I think he was at Red Bull. He did it, but he didn't need to do it. Yeah, I I think that. And, you know, you see a little bit of, like, Alonso doing it with Aston Martin, but not to the extent. You know, but even then, in Miami... Fernando has always done that. True. And I Uh, think he's actually doing it less... Or he's doing it in a more collaborative way with Aston than he ever was with Ferrari. Oh, hey, look, we're talking about Ferrari again. Yeah, but even then, you had uh, you had GP on the wall this weekend talking to Max, and Max was, like, doing some race engineer stuff mid-race. Yeah. And GP shut him down and said, no, you drive the car. I know what's going on. I will keep you informed. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that is an interesting third option. Uh, maybe that's what Fred Vasseur will change as he attempts to remake the team in his own image. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things of one area that Ferrari has really been lacking over the past 10 seasons is really their race engineering and data analysis of, you know, we, we talk all the time about Ferrari strategy. I don't think their race engineers are up to are up to par with anybody else. Uh, and I think Charles is losing because of it. Yeah, the car might be fickle, but he doesn't have any support, it seems, throughout the team. It is the paradox of Ferrari that every time they don't do well enough, the um, media in Italy calls for whoever is running Ferrari at that point calls for their head and we change the head and then we go off and keep doing the same thing with the same people the reality is is actually maybe the team principal is not the problem and it's the rest of the team and they need to they need to clean house and replace all of these people with new people you have to accept that probably going to spend you know three years rebuilding the relationships but maybe that's what they really need yeah I mean goes back to Aston Martin of uh, just because your family doesn't necessarily mean that's the best place for the job Indeed. Um, But this brings up the question, uh, if Charles is in fact overrated, who is Merck going to get when Lewis retires? Because the the leading rumour that's been going around for, what, three weeks now, is that Charles is the leading candidate for Mercedes to replace Lewis. Who do you get if you don't pick Charles? Like, do you you make the decision at this point? You're like, Charles can stick with Ferrari, we need to find somebody else. The question is, who do you go for? Alex Albon. Interesting. So uh, Albon and George, because they like each other. They do. They seem to get on. They seem to get on. They seem to get yeah, on. Yeah, I, so. I mean, right now with with what I know of the grid, I don't follow F two that closely. 
Uh, there's enough good F2 drivers, it seems, coming up that Red Bull's going to have a problem and maybe they loan somebody to Merck. I, but Merck doesn't seem like they... Merck, Merck is too conservative. Like, for all the the, the um, complaining we do about Red Bull pulling up F2 drivers too early and then churning them through the meat grinder, uh, I don't think Merck is... Merck does not strike me as that type of company. They would... They, they're a measure 14 times cut once, possibly to their own detriment. Do they not but have anybody see, coming up through like an F2 driver program? They've got Vesti, but I don't think he's... He needs some time in, in, in the back of the grid car, much like George... I mean, George was very good in F2 and F3 and just came in there and won and was nailed it and was brilliant. And they still stuffed him in the back of the grid rather than giving him the top seat. Somebody who is not winning the championship on the first attempt in F2, I don't think you're going to, you know, put them in. Unless you see them as actually a number two driver because George is your number one driver. Maybe then? I mean, they don't really have a back of the grid team to slot throw anybody in at this point in time. No, like I mean, Aston's not going to take it. McLaren's not going to take it. Williams is doing their own thing now. Like there's, they're not, they don't have a spot in the back well, of the grid like they did with George. But remember that Williams now has ex Merck uh, team as their new team principal. So maybe that relationship can be rebuilt. Maybe, maybe that's the play. Is they go take Alex Albon from Williams and say, "Look, you're really good. We'll give you a top flight." Then they can shove the Vesti in Williams and see whether they're any good or not. But I, I just, I suspect the reality is Vesti's not going to make it to F1 unless he sort of has a sudden turnaround halfway through the season. Yeah, I, I do feel like Williams is pushing a little bit more that we don't want to be somebody's backmarker team. Uh, bringing in yes. Logan Sargent, bringing in Alex Albon the way they did. Uh, I don't see, I don't see them as the the landing pad, and that's I, I think, I think it's going to be one of those things of you're either going to have to put a, a first year driver next to George, and check George's mentoring skills, which I'm going to guess leave a lot to be desired. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe 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 that's the that's the slow you know uh, slow departure from F1, just like uh, Schumacher tried to do. Lewis can be the mentor to try and mentor whoever it is that they put in that in the, in the other seat in his ex seat just like Shumi did well if we're if we're really going to go with uh, it's all poetry and rhymes then it's got to be Lando Norris I, just, I, I think there is so much potential for that I was checking earlier uh, his contract runs out in 2025 so it's a little tight he has to drive the 2025 season it's a little tight to come in in 2026 with a great car and be you know gelling with the team but maybe that's the risk maybe they go they can convince Lewis to stay for another two years. I'm not sure you... I mean, unless Lewis p- pulls his finger out, I wouldn't want Lewis as my second driver. I need someone who's going to actually perform every weekend. I'm honestly... I, I'm slowly coming along to your trying of thinking of uh, Lewis is done after this year. I think maybe at least done with Mercedes, especially if he goes his whole year without a win, because that would be two years in a row and the only two years of Lewis's career where he has not recorded a win. Yeah, and uh, the thing that I'm trying to, the, the thing that I struggle to decode is, is it because he's done or because he knows there's nothing on the line, right? Some people work best when they know there is the true chance, right? Fernando's always going to drive the wheels of a car. He doesn't really, he cares about winning, but he doesn't really care about winning. He cares about the racing. And I think Lewis, for better or for worse, who's been extremely successful in his entire motorsport career, there's a point it's like, why am I getting up and coming to work every day? when I know that I can't win. Like, this car is in, in its current state. Maybe it'll be better after Imola. It cannot It cannot win without luck. And he doesn't want a lucky win. It's not like, yeah, I won. He wants to be like, I want to be at the front and I want to be fighting for winning. And I I just, I, I worry that he isn't done. But after two years, he's like, 
I've got to get on with my life. Because do you trust Merck to fix it for next year? I'm not sure I do. I think this I think this is a very similar to a Red Bull situation. I think Merck is going to take until 2025 to get back to being competitive once more. And then maybe they'll nail the next regs. Great, good for them. But do you want to wait until 2025 to be, you know, hoping to, you know, pick up some scraps? And maybe, not 2021, 2025. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think the Lewis is just in the very lucky position of uh, when you are possibly the greatest Formula One driver to ever exist, you can just be like, you know, I've had a good career and I'm done. Like, because there are yeah. there are drivers up and down the grid, past and present, and definitely in the future, who will go their whole careers with never seeing a win and just want one season in the car, the kind of cars that Lewis had. So, you know, I think he can. I can definitely leave Formula One with his head held high. Uh, but yeah, I, I could. I could also see him. Uh, moving to Aston for just like one last fun hurrah. Uh, I mean, how great would it be if his first season he was teammates with Fernando and his last season he was teammates with Fernando? I'd love that, especially if they were fighting for the front of the grid. I think that would be... I would love it even more if they were just like the two bestest of friends. They, 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 through the journey that they had taken over the last, you know, 13 years or whatever it is, they would be like, nah, we're over it now. Yeah, I, I I'd agree with that. Like and a buddy like, movie, that'd be great. The most selfish like F one driving as like they could possibly do of like, oh, all right, I'll block for you, and you could you know the, the pure just uh, yeah. I, I would I would so love that uh, that buddy racing car movie. I agree. Okay, next item on our, our spicy hot takes. I think this is yours. You yeah, uh, Michael Andretti was on the grid. Uh, Martin mm-hmm. Brundle got to talk to him. They're pushing forward. They're hoping to be the 11th or 12th team, whatever, with Formula One. So they are, they're looking for 2025 for Andretti Cadillac to be on the grid. I, I heard, a, I think it was a, either a news report or an interview with him. They're, like, they're not just like, we're going to go be the 11th team. They're like, we've hired a team, we're hiring training people. Like They are like, whatever F1 is saying and trying to com- create the most compelling argument to enter F1. And then you see stories this week about some random team. It's like, oh, I'm going to create an eco-friendly F1 team. And everyone's like, great, another team on the grid. It, like The only serious team is Andretti. And I don't understand why everybody's like, ah, I'm not sure about that. I'm assuming that part of this is just PR like shenanigans to create the story and behind the scenes these conversations are more serious um it's very strange yeah i mean they've f1 has done a lot to try to in a sense discourage new teams with like a certain sort of buy-in and stuff so teams Mm -hmm. just don't come and go and i can appreciate that but if you have a team similar to an expansion team in any sport that's willing to come in and say hey here's the money we want to be part of it and especially like I know in America the Andretti racing name is it's right it's it's racing royalty in America essentially. Yeah, this, this, it's a serious team with serious skills and serious intent. It is not Jackie Jones saying, "Hey, I think I'd like to have an F1 team." Like it's a real it's a real intentional effort and from a team that has shown that they can do it. So I think there's it's very strange. Yeah, and I, I think I think it'd be great for the sport if they were in, and I think it'd be even better if they were great and good. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I I'm not one for like expanding the te- the, the the grid to like you know thirty teams, but I think it could easily take on at least another two teams. Yeah, maybe I think three. Twenty four is at least a good number. Yeah. Um, okay. Next item. Uh, all this week we have had stories. Perez is going to go and take the World Drivers Championship. He's finally mature enough. And then Max does Max. And I wrote this before the race. 
because that was what my gut told me is that Max was going to come and max this, and that's exactly what he did. I was I, surprised at how how Max maxed this, because like, also. well, so if you think back to like Jetta, I mean, where they were in a similar situation of kind of Max was out of position and coming back through the field. Uh, you know, they got to a point where they were both just doing similar lap times and it kind of ended up being a stalemate. Maybe it was just on the fact that they were on a different tire strategy, but I mean, Max came through the field and it got to, it, it was to a point where even in the middle of the race, like lap 30 to 40, like Checo would put in a fast time on hards, Max would put in a faster time on 20 lap older tires. Like it was, it was insane. Like he just... I think he was like, well, I've just kind of been messing around at the start of the season. Similar how, like, you know, Lewis didn't race until, like, the second half of the season, and then he yeah. like, really turned on. And that's just how it really felt today. If Max was like, oh, no, this is this is getting a bit too close. We're just going to nip this in the bud right now. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's an example of why Max is a generational talent, right? He, he is, unless he just nopes out for no apparently good reason, he's he's up there with the, the Senners, the Hamiltons, the Schumachers. Right, like it's, and I, I always find it funny to see the stories where people like, oh, like, like you'd see it with Hamilton and Bottas, like, is Bottas gonna get Hamilton this season? He's already here, and here it comes, and you're like, no, he's actually, I'm just gonna smack you down because, I, you know, it was the beginning of the season. Took me a few races to get into the vibe. Oh, enough, here we go. And uh, let's not forget, it's the anniversary of, uh, it's the anniversary weekend of Max getting called up to the main team in 2016. Yeah, how many years is it now? Seven years. Seven, yeah. Seven years. It feels like an eternity. Yeah, I, I could see, I could see him leaving Formula One before Fernando Alonso. To be honest, yeah, it'd be, he, it was interesting. That was one of the, the stories that people kept writing. I think in the middle of the week, which was like uh, Max being like, "I'm fed up of all this stupid stuff. I'm here until 2028." And there was a whole story about Red Bull's really got to work really hard to retain all the top engineers. And Max was like, "They they do. And I'm I'm here till 2028, so they can leave if they want. But I'm here till 2028." And so it'd be interesting to see what 2028 is like. I did see a remark from Checo where he was saying that uh, that despite, uh, unless you're George, uh, Max is actually a very gracious loser. And, you know, he's been doing a good job of like, you know, uh, congratulating Checo on all of Checo's achievements this year. So I'm know. pretty sure behind the scenes at Red Bull, everything is totally fine and very reasonable and they love each other and they're very nice. But the media likes to create a story and they're trying to create a story between them. And I think I, as much as I really don't like Checo, I think it's unfair uh, to to stir it in the way that they're stirring it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also one of those things of uh, life was good with Hamilton and Rosberg until uh, light, until it wasn't. Yeah, but I don't. I, I don't think Checo is going to pull that out. I don't think Checo's Checo is unlikely to go to this extreme length that Rosberg went in an attempt to beat Hamilton. Well, Monaco's coming up. We'll be able to see those double waved yellow two, flags. Yeah, two two years in a row. So here is uh, here's one of my last takes. Uh, spicy takes rumors. I think the further we get away from Australia, the more it's going to realize how much that hurts McLaren. That double points finish they got because they are sitting. They are sitting fifth in the standings right now, tied with Alpine, and almost have twice the number of points of Haas. You, you, you're saying hurting them in, in, in terms of tunnel time, or are you saying it's going to hurt them if they realize how crap their car really is? I think their car is crap, and they have done and they had that Australia finish that put them in such a place that they are not going to get the tunnel time or CFD time they need to make that thing less of a tractor. True. 
Um, maybe the hope here is is maybe everybody else does actually perform better. Maybe maybe Haas like this weekend they can do some more good races when they're at home. Yeah, the weird thing is like Williams is at the bottom with like one point, but I feel like Alex is doing a great job job of driving that car, just like can't seem to get any points out of it. So it's yeah. very interesting. Like if you were to ask me like who is higher in the standings, Williams or McLaren, I'd say oh maybe Williams, but yeah, but but, no. but they lucked out because of the crazy Australia race, right? Yeah, and, and I I think I think that's gonna hurt them. I really think it is. Don't disagree with that. Yeah. Baltas was a lot better this weekend. We didn't talk about that. He did He did have good performance, and he seemed to, he did start to slide down towards the end, but Alpha definitely seemed to be in a better state than it was last weekend, which was truly atrocious. Right. So, Dominic, you got anything for uh, for Imola? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, my crazy prediction for Imola is that Merck will bring these upgrades that will be barely, barely visible and will have no effect on the performance of the car relative to the rest of the field and i think that's the key part i'm not saying the car ain't going to go faster i'm going to say that relative to the rest of the field they will not improve based on this massive upgrade uh the one caveat i'll say is if they bring side pods that would be a very visible upgrade indeed indeed i I don't think that's coming but i will i will happily eat that but i still hold that their performance won't change maybe not visible in terms of the timesheet, but it might be a very (laughs) visible upgrade in a in a set exactly yeah exactly uh i'm gonna predict rain I will go with that. I think that's likely given on what happened the same time last year because it was a bit wet last year too, right? Yeah, I looked at the long-term forecast and it's, it's looking wet across Italy this this time of year. Yeah, it's going to be... I think that could be... Because they thought this weekend was going to be the first wet race of the year. I think it's actually going to be Imola. I mean, if, for those cycling fans, there is a great race going on in Italy right now, the Giro d'Italia, the first of the Grand Tours of the year. Oh, and how, how many... When does the Grand Tour season end? Uh, well, there are three Grand Tours. There's Italy, France, and Spain. Uh, Italy's in May. France is in July. Uh, okay. Spain is in August, pretty much. Okay, so the whole summer, really. Yeah, pretty much. But but people always care about the Tour de France. I'm I'm much more of a Giro d'Italia yeah. fan. I think it's a much more interesting race. It's always the famous ones that get everybody going. Well, they are all famous. Um, anyway, we should wrap this up. Uh, thanks again for listening to Tinfoil Helmets. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to write in, or you probably know us, so just text us at uh, tinfo- uh, feedback at tinfoilhelmets.com. Um, don't forget to let us know your own conspiracies, feedbacks. Uh, please don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast and rate us on what Spotify and Apple, wherever they are. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, we always we The only way we get more listeners is by... Uh, people uh, promoting us because there's probably no way we're going to self-promote ourselves. So we'll see you in two weeks time for uh, an Imola wrap up.